everyone. This is Brenton Powers. And this is Dan Bodwin. And you're listening to the Dwell on Truth show on KSCO AM 1080 in the Monterey Bay area. Today on our show, Dan and I are going to return to our previously uh, scheduled format of studying <laughs> through the Bible. We're dwelling on the truth of the Word of God here, yes. and we're making our way through the Gospel of John, which is the most recommended book in all of the Bible. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to start reading it. And uh, if you have any questions as you read it, that's what we're recording these episodes for so you can go back and um, listen to any chapter we're going to be teaching on it. Today we're in John chapter 15 the second half of this chapter where Jesus talks about disciples loving one another and the world hating the disciples. Go figure. That doesn't seem fair, does it? So how do do we handle that when we love people and they don't love us back? Well Jesus has some words for us to encourage us to prepare us, to equip us as he prepared his disciples before sending them out into the world to preach the gospel, make disciples, and testify about him. Amen. So we want to start just by reading through the the text for the rest of this chapter? Yeah, we're going to start in uh, John 15, verse 15. Yes, sir. How about we read just the first three verses, 15, 16, and 17? Well, what, what would you say this section is about, Dan? Well, I think this has a lot to do with our relationship with God, our relationship with the Creator, and, and just what an amazing thing it is. Um, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and read that real quick, since okay. we're just doing the three verses. So, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, no longer do I call you servants? For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Mm. And it's uh, it's good stuff. The thing that amazes me that really popped out to me today when I was going through this again is just that first verse. I no longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from the Father, I have made known to you. And it's one thing for somebody to say, hey, I, I call you my friend. It's it's another for God the Son, the creator of everything that exists, God in human flesh, come to earth to say, now I call you my friends. Mm-hmm. And I know that I, in the past, have, I mean, I've heard this. I've been listening to this for, you know, most of my life. But just to take a moment, I think we should all take a moment and sit back and really think about what that means. The creator of the universe wants to be our friend. Wow. So, yeah, the amazing thing of the gospel is that God wants to be our friends. You see, we've mm-hmm. we've all made ourselves enemies of God by our wicked works, the Bible says. But he offers us terms for reconciliation in those terms are repent of your sin, trust in Christ, that he died for our sin, rose from the grave, and he sent his disciples into the world to preach forgiveness and repentance of sins, that you you can have peace with God. And not only will he not see you as a servant, but he won't see you as an enemy. He'll see you as a friend. And that's, he's been walking with these disciples for three years, pouring Mm -hmm. into their lives. And he has, you know, it's it's a cliche, but God has a wonderful plan for your life. Um, (laughs) We tend to think, maybe uh, we got to be careful not to think that he's talking materialistically or having no no suffering in life or always being happy but it's really a plan for us as he says in the next verse to bear fruit and that fruit would mm-hmm. remain he's chosen us for a purpose and Absolutely. it's this it's about a relationship with god yes yeah, he chose us for a purpose. He definitely chose the disciples for a purpose. It's amazing. I mean, the church that we see today, you know, the the, the change in the world is is the fruit of, of God's work through the disciples and through those that they pass their message on to. So, yeah, Jesus, uh, his purpose for his friends, the disciples, and he, he had been praying for them before he chose them, and he called them apostles, which means sent ones. Mm-hmm. And, yes, he definitely uh, is interested in how he was going to use them in the world to preach the gospel and start the church that we're we're the beneficiaries of today. Yes. And we, we're reading from the New Testament, which is the apostles' doctrine. He sends them with their authority. 
in context here, Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about yes. to leave them, uh, well, for three days till he rises again, and then he's going to appear for 40 days before he ascends to heaven. And he's preparing them for what life will be like, fulfilling the mission he has for them once he goes away. But he's not leaving yeah. them alone. He's going to give them power. He's going to give them the Holy Spirit. We'll come back to that idea in the end of the chapter, where he continues talking about the work of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And ultimately, we see how this unfolds in the book of Acts when the church starts, as, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, Dan. We yeah, can yeah. see examples of how this was fulfilled in the book of Acts. Indeed. So one of the things that stands out to me from these first three verses is how Jesus reminds them of the greatest commandment to love one another. Mm-hmm. There's no greater love than to lay your life down for one's friends. And Jesus is about to lay down his life for his friends, and he's going to call them to be prepared to lay down their lives for, for him and for his kingdom and for one another. So there's no greater love. A lot of times the world thinks of love as just touchy-feely, warm, fuzzy feelings. Yeah. But ultimate love is self-sacrificial, where you really want what's best for someone else. That's right. Even it it may be at your own expense. Yeah, exactly. The word, I think, agape is the one that represents that in Scripture. There There are multiple versions of the word love in Greek. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, but the self-sacrificial love that wishes the best for the other is that is is agape and that is the the love that we see Jesus talking about here that's correct yes agape is god's highest uh greek word for love mm. it's better yes. than eros which is like a uh, erotic kind of sexual feeling of love mm-hmm. uh higher than philadelphia phileo is the greek word for that kind of love yeah. the love of brothers brotherly love yes mm-hmm. the city of brotherly love philadelphia <laughs> That's where it came from. So, yeah, that's what he calls us to do. And we don't really have a right to be called Christians unless we love one another. Yes. That's the fruit of how you know someone is a Christian. Do you have love for one another? Mm. Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Yes. Good stuff. Yeah. So now in contrast to his love, we're going to see the world's hate in the Mm. following verses. John chapter 15, verse 18 through 25, um, uses the word hate several times there. So maybe we could just read that whole chunk right there, that whole paragraph, and then we'll go through it verse by verse and bring in some cross-references. The Bible says a lot about this subject, so be prepared. We have a lot to share. Why don't you go ahead and read that section since I read the first one. Okay. John 15, starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me with without a cause. Yes, indeed they did. So let's talk about this hatred of the world. You may say, oh, that's not a good topic to talk about. I don't want to listen to this. But there are several encouraging things to know here. And the first thing that Jesus wants us to know is, in verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Yes. Jesus had already spoken about this previously in the Gospel of John. For example, in chapter 3, verse 20, he said, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. In John 7, 7, he's talking to his brothers when they didn't believe in him, and he said, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. So that gives us a couple clues. Why does the world hate Jesus? I mean, Jesus was, he loved everybody. Why would they hate him? Well, because by nature, we're children of wrath, and we don't love what we should, and we hate what we should. 
shouldn't. Yeah, this is a, another reminder that there's this um, idea that we hear a lot, uh, particularly on the street from people who are, are not Christians, um, talking as if or implying that they are neutral toward God. That's, oh, I don't, I, I don't hate God. I just haven't been given enough evidence or, you know, I don't have any animosity toward Jesus Christ. He's just like anyone else. But when you dig, when you start really talking to them and challenging them on, on spiritual issues, on God's law, and these kind of passages prove themselves to be true. Mm-hmm. The world does in and of itself really hate the message that Jesus brings. Yeah. It's, a, it's an amazing thing to see when the Holy Spirit starts to work and, and people start opening up and you really see what is in their hearts. Yeah. People may say, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm not religious or I'm not, you know, a Christian, but I do respect the teachings of Jesus. Well, they're picking and choosing. They're, they're, they Correct. like the, the parts about, you know, like Elon Musk when he was interviewed by the Babylon Bee and he was kind of pressed to uh, receive Jesus as Lord and Savior right then and there. He's like, well, you know, I, I respect the teachings teachings of Jesus. I think more people yeah. should turn the other cheek. It would be a lot better world if we did that. Yeah. But, but they, do they really? Yeah. But are Go they ahead. except this Jesus says they hate me because I testify what? That the world's deeds are evil. We don't yeah. like to be told we're doing evil or that we are evil. But that's what yeah. Jesus said. And, yeah. you know, we're Dan and I like to uh, put ourselves on the same level as everyone else. We've sinned and fallen short of the glory of that's God. That's right. That's and right. We need to be humble and admit that. And it's, it's a good thing to recognize the truth of our own evil so that we can look to him who is not evil, who can cleanse us of our evil. And that's Jesus. Mm, amen. That's right. You know, the other side of that, I was thinking about this and, and you know, that it tells us that the world really hates the message of Jesus. And, uh, you know, James chapter four reminds us that we need to be careful that we don't have the love for the world which hates Jesus because that makes us an enemy of God. It says in James 4, 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Reminds me too of that verse where it Mm -hmm. says, uh, you know, you cannot, you, you know, you cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Mm -hmm. In that case, it's talking about God and money, but it applies to Mm -hmm. all of the other things of the world too mm-hmm. that are contrary um, to God's will and His plan and and His purposes. Yeah. So having a biblical definition, what does Jesus mean by the world? He's not talking about the earth, the dirt, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. the planet, the globe. He's talking about the world system. And yes, John yes. John later, when he writes First John, writes it this way: First John two fifteen and following. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves mm-hmm. the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and he lists three things that characterize this world system. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. These are not of the Father, but they're of the world. The world is passing away, and the lusts of it are passing away. But he who does the will of God endures, abides forever. Amen. So it's this this world system of worldly thinking. You Mm want to be great, you want to feel great, and you want to look great. Um, That's that's really the same temptation temptations that Satan tempted Eve with in the garden. She saw the mm-hmm. forbidden fruit that it was desirable to to eat, you know, it was going to be tasty. It was desirable to make one wise. That's the pride of life. And the, mm-hmm. the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes was all part of that temptation. When Jesus was tempted, he was tempted in all those ways too. Yes, he you, was. You say that you're the son of God? Well, why don't you prove it? Um, yep. And, you know, it's speaking of Jesus' and t- Jesus's temptation and the, the role of the devil in in the world, um, Satan actually said in Luke chapter 4, when he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, in verse 6, he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be, it will all be yours. But Jesus mm-hmm. answered Satan and said, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. That's it. That's it. So it's been pointed out, Jesus.
Jesus didn't refute the statement that Satan has authority over the kingdoms of the world, uh, but the path to coming and redeeming the world was was to be through the cross, not through bowing down and, and getting it from Satan that way. He would rather defeat Satan by suffering for the sins of the world in order to redeem us from the world. Amen. I think it's really important for us to remember, too, that, you know, when Jesus was being tempted, what did he point to, you know, in response to Satan? He pointed back at the Word mm-hmm. and God's revelation of Himself, and we need to remember to do that too. When we're when we're attacked by the enemy, when we're attacked by the world, we've got to go back to our standard of truth, and our standard of truth is the Word of God. Yep. And I'm so thankful that Jesus prepares his disciples for the temptation that comes with being hated by the world. You know, we, we don't want to be hated by the world. No. We want to be liked. We want to have peace. We don't want to cause waves. But when we testify about Jesus and we testify honestly about what Jesus said, that people's deeds are evil, we're going to get some pushback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But we have to be honest about what God's word says, that the works of the world, they're evil. And the works of our flesh, they're evil. The works of Satan are evil. And he he calls us out. And it's a good thing that we are honest about the truth, because then we can find the solution to that problem. As long as we're denying the problem, we're falling prey to Satan's lies. We do that a lot. Staying captives to that sin. Yes. Oh, yes. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are our enemies as believers. Yes. But we're not against the world. We want the world to come to Christ. We're preaching reconciliation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. He doesn't love the things of the world, its lusts and its pride, but he loves the people of the world and every soul matters, don't they, Dan? Yes. (laughs) Your soul does matter. I think there's a website or something with that connected to it somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, they should Google yoursoulmatters.org and you'll see Dan in my websites. There you go. So what verse are we on now? 19. Do you want to read that one? Sure. It says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a statement and a warning in there as well. If God has chosen you out of the world, if Jesus has chosen you out of the world, the world will have a hatred for you. And the other side of that is, if the world has no hatred for you, I don't know. I mean, does that mean you know Christ or maybe you're keeping a little too silent in your faith? You know, we don't want to strive for persecution. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're not getting any persecution, you know, maybe that's because we're not being vocal enough in our faith. A little bit of a challenge mm. to to the folks out there. I know that I'm not vocal enough sometimes. Side note, but I think an important one. Yeah, I think that's probably on some people's minds is he Mm -hmm. says, if the world hates you in verse 18. So is it a promise to everybody that they're going to be persecuted or is it conditional on whether we're being a good witness or not? Some people think if you do, if you do it right, then the world will love you. But we don't need to be seeker sensitive and do it in a way of pleasing people. If we're pleasing to the Lord, sometimes we're going to displease people. There is a promise. I think, you know, if, if, if we're talking about does everyone hate, is every Christian to be hated? Well, the only scripture I can think of that makes it universal is mm-hmm. uh, when Paul says to Timothy, all who want to live godly lives will be persecuted. Yeah, doesn't mean you'll be persecuted and hated by everybody. But what I've often told people when it comes to persecution is, if everybody hates you, you're probably doing something wrong. But if nobody hates you, you're probably doing something wrong. <laughs> We're probably going to be somewhere in the middle there. I mean, yeah. you know, if you're living by Christian, by biblical character, there are a lot of positive things there yeah. that people are going to appreciate, that people are going to value. Um, so I don't think that, you know, if you're being a loving person, if you're being forgiving, if you're being generous, and of, of course, people are going to see value in that and they're mm-hmm. going to be positive to, about that. But if that's all they see and they don't hear the, you know, the, the word of God saying that you're a sinner, you need to repent, you know, because that's going to get people's back up. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that we should see both 
if we're living consistently with God's word. Mm -hmm. We're going to see persecution, but we're also going to see the positive fruit of a righteous life. And and I think scripture says that Mm -hmm. as well. And do you think there may be different degrees of persecution? All will be persecuted, but maybe in some countries at some times there will be less persecution. Sometimes there will be more. Oh, yeah. Currently where we're at in the United States, we're not under too much threat of being persecuted to the point of shedding our blood. Like there there are in some Muslim countries Mm -hmm. or even in communist China or, you know, in North Korea, for example. I agree. Things may be getting worse. Yeah, I think they are getting worse. But I mean, even in the United States, depending on who and what you are and what you do with your life, um, it's going to make a difference. I I think every Christian is, is going to feel persecution on some level. But somebody who's out there preaching the gospel is like us. We're going to get a different level of persecution sometimes. Uh, A pastor who, you know, stands on his principles and says no to the government. And that's happened sometimes. Not even arguing one way or the other on the COVID shutdown or not shutdown. But there were a number of pastors that said, no, this is where I believe God is leading me and I'm not going to bow. And there was persecution because of that. And persecution um, involving things like, uh, like the abortion conflict, you know, Roe versus Wade, you know, I mean, there were a number of, of, of crisis pregnancy centers that are standing for the lives of the unborn because of their, their love of God and their love of people that were vandalized or burned or things like that. Mm-hmm. Every Christian is going to feel persecution, but depending on where you are and what you do in whatever culture you're in, that's going to kind of determine you know, the, the, what you're going to experience. There may be different degrees, not only of persecution that you encounter, but different different degrees of behavior uh, from Christians that may evoke persecutions. And there's some Mm -hmm. things that are gray areas. You know, people can have different convictions on the COVID response. Correct, of course. And, you know, some people may be going to an extreme where they're getting persecuted uh, for their personal convictions. Mm-hmm. At, at great cost, and I'm thankful that yes. they're willing to push back, and that helps turn the tide of culture. But I personally don't didn't feel convicted to, for example, stop meeting. And I had church in my own front yard when they when they had the shelter yeah. in place. But you know, oh yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is when Jesus talks about being hated by the world here, he gives very specific reasons. It's not about our, our response to COVID, but is about oh, no. in verse 19, he says, because you are not of the world, but I chose yeah. you out of the world. Therefore, right. the world hates you. And yeah. let me just add, if you're persecuted because you're being a jerk, that, that's not being persecuted for Jesus' sake. That's true. Very true. Yeah. And there are some jerks for Jesus who do... Yeah. You know, or they claim to be for Jesus, who they just just bad behavior. And then they say, oh, I'm being persecuted. No, you're kind of being rude and unnecessary in your behavior. No, don't don't blame that on God. That's all on you. (laughs) Again, if if Jesus calls us to love one another, examine your heart. Are you being persecuted because you're loving one another or are you being uh, maybe rejected because you're being unloving? That that, that's one thing to consider. Mm -hmm. If we're persecuted, let's. Let it be for because we're doing the right thing. Amen. Amen. So, um, yeah, so that's one of the reasons why the world may persecute us, because he's chosen mm-hmm. us out of the world. It makes me think, mm-hmm. are they jealous? Are they envious that we're chosen and they're not? Or, you know, that's it's it's interesting that there's that dichotomy that they would hate us because we are chosen. Yeah, I, I think that there is definitely jealousy. But part of that jealousy, I think, is connected with pride, because I, I think some people misunderstand understand the Christian message. And they think, well, they think they're better than us because, you know, they've, you know, God has chosen them and this and that. And, you know, but it's it's a combination of I want to be in that club. Mm-hmm. So they're jealous that they're not, you know, in God's good graces. And I think a lot of people know in their heart of hearts that this is the true path, that Jesus is real and and it's clear that God exists and we are to follow him. But at the same time, their pride is keeping them from willing to, uh, from being willing to submit, from being willing to, to bow their knee. 
So, yeah, so that and that jealousy and that I think that tension between, you know, they they know the right thing, but don't want to do it because of their pride and because of their desires of the flesh causes a tension and that tension can cause anger. Yeah. Also, the phrase I think is key. You are not of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we're as Christians, we're called to be in the world, but not of Mm -hmm. the world. And, And sometimes just by choosing to live a life that isn't worldly, you know, affirming everything that the world affirms. People will will uh, maybe heap heap uh, abuse on us for that because we're not, um, you know, they may call you intolerant or bigoted because yeah. you're not affirming the things that the world affirms. And we can't. Yeah. We have to affirm and I think the things in, that God says is right and, and call sin, sin. Yeah, and I think in their hearts, they know, too, that what we are is what they ought to be. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, because, you know, I mean, God's existence is clear. His law is written on our hearts. Um, and 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 when people see others living the way that they know that they should live, that gets them angry. I don't know if you've experienced that in, in, in your life. I imagine you probably have. But I know that I have seen friends and family who at different, well, I'm, I'm sure you have, that at different times in their life, they have maybe started walking with Christ or were trying to. And then as they choose to go toward their sin... They start getting having more animosity toward you and start cutting you off. Even and, and a lot of the time they'll say, "Well, it's because you're being mean and you're doing this and that." You may not have said anything to them, but because yeah. they see the contrast between you walking the way God has commanded you to, and them walking the opposite direction, they'll they'll try to make a break there, and there will be yeah, real hatred sometimes because of that. Mm-hmm. And I've experienced that with quite a number of people in my life. Not that I'm the you know, the paragon of virtue or anything like that, yeah. but trying to live by God's law, you know, and people, when they know they're in rebellion, that, that gets them angry, you know, it gets them angry when they see the other side. Yeah. When you're, when you're living as you ought, then yeah, sometimes mm-hmm. that evokes like, well, you think you're better than me? And it's not a competition, but no. yeah, it's, it's that pride of, well, at, ultimately it boils down to not, uh, it boils down to whose you are. If you yes. are of the world, he says in this verse, the world would love you as its own but since yes. you're not of the world the world hates you it's it's about whose you are not always yeah, about it your really behavior is. it's about who you belong to yeah yeah but there's other Indeed. reasons and uh, jesus will go on in in the verse 20 to remind us of an, an important point he says remember the word that i said to you a servant is not greater than his master remember when he said that he had just washed their feet yeah yeah he said if i've washed your feet then you ought to wash one another's feet he's talking about serving if i'm mm-hmm. your master and your your teacher and i I do something, you're not above it. So if they persecute me, they will also persecute you, he says. And if they kept my word, they will also keep your word. For me, that's a little glimmer of hope because we're talking a lot about, you know, the rejection that the world will give you. But there is also this clause that if they kept his word, they will keep yours. In other words, there will be some that God continues to save out of the world, just like he saved us out of the world. There will be some, as we're preaching the gospel, they may have a reaction at first, like, oh, wait, you're calling me evil? And they may wrestle with that. And then, well, actually, you're right. I repent. I come to Christ. And then, it, you know, Jesus had followers. If they had, if he had followers, then people will follow us as we're following Christ. Yes. Paul says that. Follow me. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Amen. If I'm Amen. not imitating Christ, then don't follow me. You know, I'm, we're not always yeah. <laughs> per- perfect. So ultimately, no. we should all be following Christ. But that's an encouraging word for those of us who seek to represent Jesus as evangelists, um, Christians, witnesses, that not only will you have rejection, but you will have some people uh, receive the word. There will be reception. Amen. Amen. And it is just such an amazing thing when we do see that, mm-hmm. when we see the Spirit work and He can fix people regarding their sin and they come to know Him in truth. What a what an amazing blessing that is. And I don't know how you process this, Dan, but I know on the streets we get rejected a lot. But mm-hmm. for, for me, I, I'm happy to get 900 99 knows if that thousandth person says yes like okay those aren't great batting averages but even if it was just one in a thousand people that said yes to Jesus and they begin eternal life and walk with Jesus and bear fruit in their lives and they have an impact on other people to me that one soul that's changed is worth hearing someone say no thank you 999 times yeah I mean yeah I agree I agree I mean in going out to the streets we are obeying God I believe we are honoring him 
him and glorifying him. So even if nobody, you know, were to respond, it would still be worth it. I mean, if we spent our whole lives preaching the gospel and one person came to faith, that would even be worth it. Now, praise God, we see a lot more than one person in our whole life. Yeah. Um, and that's the point here. Is yeah, yeah. If they, if they kept my word, they will also keep your word, plural. So that's I'm right. trusting the Lord for more than just one person to receive the gospel. Amen. Well, I've seen more than one person, and I know you have too, and we do see that on the streets every once in a while. And when that happens, it's enough to, to encourage me for the next six months, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's a very good thing. So, yeah. So let's go on in uh, verse 21. He says, yes. but all these things they will do to you, and all these things meaning both persecute you and keep your word. Mm-hmm. They will do these things to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Mm-hmm. I think some people will come to know him as he sent us out. Jesus didn't win all the disciples in his three-year ministry. No. He sent out the disciples. And you see when the first time that Peter preached the gospel, 3,000 people came to repentance yeah. and joined themselves to the church. God added to the church those who were being saved. That's it. But as you reflect, when you do an outreach, or even just you share the gospel with one person, a coworker, how do you respond when you get rejected? We need to keep this in mind, that they may reject you just because you're representing Jesus, because they don't know Jesus. Yeah. It's really a vertical problem they have with God. Yes. They may uh, reflect that onto you, but just understand that they're reacting that way because they don't know Jesus. If they were to know Jesus, then they wouldn't react that way to you. Yeah. You know, it kind of makes me think, you know, my uh, my professional background and my uh, current side job is is doing security. I was a security manager for big companies for a lot of years. We have the same kind of thing, you know, where some people are automatically going to react strongly when they see the person in the uniform come up. Mm-hmm. And we have to remind ourselves and we're trained to say, it's not about you. They don't know you. It's what you represent. Yep. So don't let it be personal. And, you know, it's really very similar to us as Christians. Now, maybe you haven't behaved well, but in a lot of cases, just the mere fact of who you are and who you represent is going to get a response. But don't take it personally. Don't let it get you because, I mean, that hatred of the world can really be debilitating if you let it be. But you need to remember that it's because of who you represent, that you are in the right, that you are preaching the truth because you love God and because you love people and let it roll off your back. Maybe at this point, it's a good time to bring in that verse from 1 Peter 4, 16. Yeah, yeah. If anyone suffers as a Christian, and this is one of the few places in the Bible that the word Christian is used, if you suffer as a Christian that is like Christ, of the family of Christ, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify mm-hmm. God in that name. Amen. The term Christian was originally used as a derisive term. Oh, you're, you're yeah. like a little Christ, a little representative of Christ. And the church is like, you know what? Yeah, we are. <laughs> like Christ is in us and we're in him and it's all about Jesus Christ. So Christianity developed the name Christianity having to do with Christ. That's why I don't want to run away from the term Christian. Some people shy away and they say, oh, I'm not a, I'm not a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. Well, the word Christian is in the Bible, first of all. It I, is. I hope we don't let those who have hijacked the term and, and misused the name of Christ for evil. We don't want to let them have that name. Let's reclaim it. Like, yes. We Amen. should be proud to be called a Christian, even if people use it in a derisive way. We see in the book of Acts, when they were persecuted, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer Mm -hmm. for that name. Yes. And so that's the good fruit of Jesus preparing them for this kind of hatred, persecution, and rejection. Yes. Amen. So hold fast to being a Christian. Don't be ashamed. Shall we go on to verse 22? Yes, let's do that. All right. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Hmm. That's an interesting passage. What does that mean? There's two sides of it. Yeah, well, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty. So because of the information they received, they had guilt. And and part of this is, is he's talking about all the Jews? Is he talking just about the Jewish religious leaders? It seems that at least a big part of, of his condemnation here is against the Jewish religious leaders who, you know, had the 
knowledge and should have recognized him for who he was. And who he was was made clear by his actions, by his miracles. And uh, they had no excuse for their sin because, you know, who the, the fulfilled prophecies and the supernatural acts spoke clearly of who he was. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard to figure out exactly how far the statement is supposed to stretch, whether mm-hmm. it's just to the Jewish religious leaders or whether it's to all men, because it's true on some level that, that God has written his law in our hearts, mm-hmm. that God's existence is clear. All of us know his law and choose to, to violate it. But, you know, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a tough one. It is a difficult one to interpret. But I think what helps is if we interpret the vague passages in Scripture mm-hmm. in light of the clearer passages. The clear ones, yeah. So when I think of this phrase, it says, they have no excuse for their sin. Well, I think, like Paul says, God has given the law so that every man mouth may be silenced and every right. everyone becomes accountable to God. So yes. it could be applying not just to Jesus's coming in the flesh and mm-hmm. speaking to them, but also to him speaking from Mount Sinai, where yeah. God was like thundering from the mountains and speaking uh, the Ten Commandments to make yes. us all accountable to God. That's one potential interpretation for if I had not come to them and spoken to them. Well, he spoke previous to his physical coming. He did. Certainly in principle, it has a wide application. Yeah. But if we indulge a little bit in the hypothetical that Jesus is laying out, if he hadn't come in the flesh, as had been predicted, then God would be unfaithful to keep his promise to send the Messiah. He had already entered Jerusalem on the day that he said he would come. Mm-hmm. If God didn't keep his promises, then there would be no accountability for us. Yeah, it's just kind of a weird hypothetical to imagine. What would the world be like if Jesus hadn't come? Very much different. <laughs> yes, very much different. And people will try to use this excuse on the streets like, well, what if someone's never heard about Jesus? Is God going to send them to hell because they never heard about Jesus? Yeah. Well, no, creation itself testifies that there is a God. So everyone is accountable for at least that knowledge, even if yeah. they're in a jungle somewhere they never heard of Jesus. But the fact that Jesus did come and most of the world knows that he came brings an even greater accountability than that. It does. Yeah, I usually say, and you've heard me say this, you know, we know enough to know that God exists as his existence is clear, like Romans 1 says. We know because he's written his law in our heart that there is right and wrong. And we know that we have chosen to do wrong. Mm -hmm. So every one of us is accountable to God, regardless of whether Jesus ever came. I mean, God could have rightly condemned us, you know, even if he never, you know, provided a sacrifice for sin. But of course, because he is is both good judge and loving father. It was, you know, necessary in some way because of his character that he provide perfect justice and show perfect love and mercy at the same time. And what an amazing thing that is. Yeah. And going back to your first interpretation, I think there is validity to the fact that he may have been speaking specifically about the sin of those who saw him and rejected him. Yeah, yeah. That particular sin, they're guilty of rejecting him because he came and he spoke to them, and still they rejected him. And so that's the sin that they have no excuse for. Not the sin of denying that God exists, which everyone has evidence for and and no excuse for. Everybody does. And so, you know, it's greater, With the principle is with great greater knowledge comes greater accountability. Yes. Jesus gave the statement of the servant who knew his master's will and didn't do it will be beaten with more stripes than he who Mm. didn't know his master's will and didn't do it. There's a less hot place in hell, let's say, for those who never hear about Jesus coming and just rejected the creator God that they knew existed than those who know the whole Christian story we've been witnessing to them for years and still they are rebellious and and resistant to all the light that they do have. Jesus said of Nazareth their judgment will be more severe than Sodom and Gomorrah because he lived among them. Yeah, that's a weighty thing too it really is because when we share the gospel we are showing that opportunity for forgiveness for salvation. Mm -hmm. But we are also causing greater condemnation for those who reject it. Should we not then tell people the gospel because then their their judgment will be more strict? No, we should. We we must because we don't know who who is going to be saved and who isn't. 
how else shall they be saved? If they That's need it. to call upon the Lord to be saved, how can they call on him of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? So in the same token, yeah. because there are people who will receive when we preach the gospel, that's yes. why we go. God yes. raises the issue in saying they need to hear about Jesus so that they can be saved. Yes, it does provide greater condemnation for those who will reject. If they neglect such a great salvation, then their condemnation is clearly just. Amen. So if that's you, my friends, listening to this radio show, we don't want you to be condemned. This is an no. opportunity for you to be saved. Stop resisting God and submit to God. Yes. Repent and believe the gospel and you will be forgiven have eternal life and that begins now and you can have peace with God. All right, we'll come back to that good news message before we conclude. Uh, we have another 15 minutes. Yes. Shall we go on to, uh, what verse are we in? The 23. Whoever hates me hates my father also. So another reason why the world hates us is that it hated Jesus. And why does yeah. it hate Jesus? Because it hates the father. Jesus, yeah. the son and the father are one God. So you can't say you love the father and and hate Jesus. Um, you know of any groups, Dan, that uh, reject Jesus and his words, but claim to love the Father? Well, I mean, the the religious Jews is one. Mm -hmm. it, it certainly would have applied to the Jewish religious leaders at that time. Mm -hmm. um, that's because the, I, those those religious leaders would have said, they, yes, we are rejecting Jesus, but we are children of God. Mm -hmm. We are children of the Father. We love him. But by their rejection of him, they were showing that they didn't really love the Father. Yeah, and John will write in his epistle that if, if you love God, then you will love the one that God sent. Yeah. So the, both sides are true. Yeah, and then there are groups like um, Jehovah's Witnesses who would, they would say that they, they love God, but they're worshiping or at least um, admiring a, a false view of who Jesus is. And uh, or Muslims who would say that they love God, they love Allah, which is, I mean, it's just the, the um, Arabic word for God. But of course, when we talk about it in our culture, we're meaning specifically the God of Islam, mm -hmm. um, who is not the God of the Bible. His character is different and they would, you know, reject the Jesus of Christianity. Mm -hmm. So they're showing that they really don't love the father either. Yeah. If Jesus perfectly represented the father and, yes. you know, he didn't say anything except for what the father told him to say. He didn't do anything except for what the father told him to do. And you end up hating Jesus. It really shows that you're hating the one that sent Jesus as well. That's right. He was the first perfect expression of God's nature and character and message sent to man. Yeah, he is God. There's one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if mm -hmm. you reject the Trinity, one member of the Trinity, you're rejecting the whole Godhead. You are. You are indeed. So be warned, my friends. You need to receive mm. the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about the Holy Spirit as we finish up this chapter, but let's. Yep. we have a few more verses to cover here in this section about how the world will hate Christ and his followers. Verse 24 goes on to say, If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Yeah. Very similar to what he said a couple of verses earlier, but now he's focusing on the works that he had done. Yes. It's not just his coming and his words that testify, but the works, works that Jesus did were unique. He said, I did the works that no one else did. So let's think about the uniqueness of Jesus and his works. Yes. He raised the dead yes. more than any prophet of the Old Testament. Yeah. He he loved people. He forgave the uh, woman caught in, in the act of adultery. He gave mm. answers and people said, we've never heard anyone speak like this guy speaks. We can't arrest him. Like He spoke with such wisdom. Mm. And power and authority too. Just read the whole gospel accounts from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is unique. Yeah, in every way, yes. I think this also kind of refutes the whole uh, zeitgeist conspiracy that Christianity is just an amalgamation of previous dying and rising gods myths. Yeah. Copied and pasted into one story. I, really, you can only believe that that is the case if, if you either haven't read the Gospels for yourself or you are pur purposely trying to find anything that can, that can disprove them. Because when you dig, when you scratch even a little bit below the surface, mm -hmm. the comparisons between the two just fall apart. Yep. The uniqueness of Jesus. I like to preach on the streets, too. Jesus rose from the grave. He's not in his tomb anymore. Amen. Can you cite any other religious leader or human being, for that mm -hmm. matter, who is not still in their grave? And that is unique, for sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's the end 
conclusion for me. That settles it. Yep, yep. So since that's true, that Jesus is unique and his works were uniquely clear that were they were from the Father, therefore people are guilty of sin for rejecting him. That's right. And they reject the Father. And that's what, you know, verse 25 says, that, but the word is, that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. We have every reason to love Jesus. We have every reason to believe in him. We have every reason to follow him as the, the people of that time did, as the religious leaders of that time did, but they hated him without cause. Yeah. I think of my sister, how much she hates the Lord. Uh, mm-hmm. She's just been fighting with him. Yeah. I know you have relatives and many people listening to us who are Christians mm-hmm. probably have relatives and fr- or friends or people that they know that have really chosen the wrong team. You know, we talked with yes. Timothy Walton a couple months mm-hmm. ago, and he's choosing the side of the devil rather than the side of God. And one good apologetic is just to point out that no matter what excuse or reason they give for rejecting the God that they know exists, Mm -hmm. it's not a justifiable reason. It's without a cause. You know, I think sometimes we, sometimes we believe people too much when we should believe God. (laughs) You know, Jesus says they hated him without a reason. In other words, like we shouldn't think, well, if they hate God, there must be a reason. He must have done something wrong to them. Like, no, let's, I talk to a homeless guy the other day. He's like, oh, God has never cared for me. He's never done anything good for me. So I have good reason to reject him. No, it's probably the other way around. We've done wrong to God and he has reason to reject us. Yet in his mercy, he allows us to continue to breathe his air, keeps our hearts beating, gives us food and rain. And, you know, even homeless people find shelter over their heads. Yes. So like, do we not give thanks to God for all the good things that he's given us? He's given us cause to worship him, to love him to thank him and we've failed yes now i may have given my sister cause to hate me when i was when i was young oh, yeah. and i didn't represent him that well we got to own up to that oh but, yeah but you know sometimes when i tell my story and and about her rejection people say why is she so against the lord mm-hmm. and sometimes my answer is there, there is, is no, no good, good reason. reason i can give you we were both raised in the same household both had the same hurts from our father who claimed to be a christian mm-hmm. but i don't hate the lord it's not god God's fault that, you know, people let us down. God hasn't given us any reason to hate him. So I think we should love him. Amen. Amen. And I do. So we've got just a couple of verses left. So after thinking about suffering, stiffen up, shake it off. You've got work to do with him by your side. John 15 concludes with the reminder and the promise of the Holy Spirit coming to help you Mm. to witness and testify about the truth. And this is an encouragement, too, because it reminds us that God is going to help us even though we're going to struggle and face persecution. God has not left us without help and without support. Mm-hmm. And it says in, in verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. In the last verses here, we have the promise of the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who's called the Spirit of Truth. I like that the whole Trinity shows up in this verse. Yes. The Helper comes, whom I, Jesus, will send to you from the Father. Mm -hmm. Theologians from, you know, ever since the church started writing creeds, you know, stating the Trinitarian doctrine succinctly, they'll use this verse. Yes. To talk about the roles in the unique roles of each person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Mm -hmm. He proceeds from the Father. Mm -hmm. He is sent by the Son. um, And he comes to bear witness about Jesus. Notice the Holy Spirit doesn't bear witness about himself. His primary focus is to lead us to Jesus. Yeah. We see that echoed in actually the next chapter. I mean, we'll go over it again when we get there, but I'll I'll read it now as well. In John 16, 13, Mm -hmm. when the spirit of truth comes, Comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. Mm-hmm. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
Yes. And that's how the the apostles were able to write the New Testament, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's right. He bears witness, the Spirit bears witness um, of Christ and who he is. And he, through the authority of the Father, um, glorifies him and and leads us. Yeah. And since he bears witness of Jesus and he leads us, then he leads us to bear witness about Jesus as well. Amen. So in verse 26, he says, the Spirit will bear witness about me. And verse 27, and you also will bear witness. And I always think of this, one of my favorite life verses is Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Amen. And you will be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Great missions verse, but the necessary preparation to be a missionary, to be an effective witness, is the Holy Spirit in your life and empowering you to work not just in you, but through you. He changes us so that our lives will be changed and and then other people will see that change and hear the gospel through us, and then their lives can be changed. It's really yes. a work of God. Whenever anyone gets saved and their lives are transformed, yes. that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And what an amazing thing that is. And it just makes me think... For you guys who are listening to us today, um, perhaps today the Holy Spirit has been bearing witness to you. Perhaps through this, perhaps through friends or family who have been talking to you. Perhaps you've been reading the Bible for yourself, and we hope you will. And if you do read God's Word and call out to Him to make Himself real to you, to make His Word clear to you, then the Holy Spirit will bear witness to His truth to you. And if that's something that's happening today, then we encourage you to call out to Jesus Christ to save you. We talk about how, you know, occasionally when we're on the street, we will see people, you know, pray to receive Christ. And we want that for you. We don't want you to just, you know, repeat a prayer because the guys on the radio told you and you want to get your fire insurance. But if the spirit is testifying to you, this is today is the day of salvation. And there needs to be a sense of urgency. You don't know when God's going to choose to take you home or to take you out of this world, maybe to home and maybe not. Um, and we want to see you saved. Mm-hmm. So if the spirit is testifying to you of, of God's truth, of Jesus Christ as God in human flesh, then confess your sins, repent of them, throw yourself on God's mercy as the one way for your sins to be forgiven, and uh, Christ's uh, crucifixion and resurrection as the one payment for sin. Yes. Can I add an encouragement there? Please do. You're going to respond to the truth of the gospel in one of two ways. You may continue to hate that testimony and hate Jesus Mm -hmm. and hate us and hate the message. Or you may stop and rethink and receive the truth, repent, and give thanks to the Lord for all that he's done. We do what we do. Like Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.10, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they Mm -hmm. also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternity. Eternal glory, And that's why we are correcting those who oppose us with gentleness in hopes that God may grant them and you repentance, leading you to a knowledge of the truth. They may come to your senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So we're, we're God's Christ's ambassadors making and yes. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so all of this is from God. Therefore, um, for, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of righteousness. God in him. Yes. So there's a great exchange waiting for you. There's a gift stretched out to you. Will you receive the gift of peace with God, righteousness, justification? And then that begins the whole process of sanctification, being made more and more like Jesus as he comes into your life. More, more love, more truth, and he wants you to bear fruit, and that fruit will remain just as we saw in the beginning of today's study. Jesus' disciples bear the fruit of changed lives, and they will bear with suffering. If the world hates us, let's encourage each other. Praise God that we're counted worthy of suffering for his name. It means we identify with Christ. So where do you stand, folks? Do you identify as a follower?
follower of Christ as a Christian, someone who has been changed by God? I hope so. And if not, today may be the day for you to become a Christian. Repent and believe the gospel. If we can help you with that, please reach out to us. Amen. Yes, you can reach us at our website at oacnorcal.org. You can email us if you have any questions or if there's any way that we can um, help you. If there are still things you don't understand, uh, still questions that you have, feel free to reach out, oacnorcal at gmail.org. You can reach us that way as well. Um, and please continue to join us weekly with this uh, with our messages as we go through God's Word, the Gospel of John. And uh, as just a final encouragement to the believers out there, remember cha- uh, verse 27 of chapter 15, you also will bear witness, and we encourage you, friends, believers, to go out and bear witness to the amazing joy that we have in Jesus Christ. And thanks for being with us today. Yes. And one one other thing I just want to add, just like, <laughs> uh, in the end, God is going to take the kingdoms of this world. It says the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of Christ. He's going to restore this world, even though Satan is the god of this world, and many are under his sway right now. There's coming a day uh, when he will rule in righteousness. You want to make sure that you're in his kingdom, and you will be restored. At the name Jesus, every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, glory to God. Thank you for listening today. Praise God for his word. Amen. And uh, thank you, Dan, for joining me for another episode of Dwell on Truth. Absolutely. Likewise. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you.